So welcome, Duncan Meisel, to the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. You are the director of Clean Creatives, and we've been really eager to get you onto the podcast. So thank you very much for joining us. I'm very excited to be here. Fantastic. Shall we start then, Duncan, with a bit of an introduction to the backstory and intro of Clean Creatives, um, its mission, objectives, uh, why it came to being? Yeah, Clean Creatives is a project that's bringing together leading advertising and public relations uh, figures and individuals to reject working with the fossil fuel industry. And that includes uh, companies, trade associations, and front groups that advocate for uh, companies that expand the use of fossil fuels. Uh, so we think that, or we know actually, that fossil fuels are the number one cause of climate change. Um, they're responsible for approximately three quarters of the carbon pollution that we need to eliminate. And we think that advertising and public relations plays a really critical role in propping up that pollution, um, that it's a critical piece of the public legitimacy that allows those companies to keep doing damage to the planet. And you know, my background is in doing communications for nonprofits um, that do work on climate change. And uh, the origin story of this is really based in the fact that Every time that we would try and do something that we thought was great, uh, like pass the Paris Climate Agreement in a way that would, you know, protect low-lying countries and, uh, you know, stop runaway climate change, uh, there would be extremely well-run, well-funded public relations and ad campaigns meant to stop us. And, uh, you know, those campaigns uh, work. Um, they take millions of dollars uh, to and turn it into public legitimacy for the companies that do the most harm. And uh, we think it's time for that to stop. Okay, so that's powerful. Yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> I, I, I have been reading uh, a lot around, you know, the sort of subsidies and the amounts of money that are going to fossil fuel companies and how, you know, a lot of the banks, certainly the big banks, are still funding them despite funding renewables and, and other greener sources of energy. I think I read somewhere that in the US, $11 million a minute is is paid to fossil fuel companies, um, which is a staggering amount of money. What do you think in terms of the challenges is the biggest challenge in, uh, I guess, organizations not working with these hugely influential, hugely powerful companies that have a lot of money? Well, I think the first challenge is actually just getting over the idea that they are that powerful in a way. Yeah. It, it's funny because like, you know, when I started this work, you know, a decade or so ago, you know, dealing with climate change, Exxon was the richest country in the history of money. They made more money per month or per quarter per year than any company had ever made ever. <laughs> and last year, they were removed from the Dow Index. They're not even in the conversation as the biggest company uh, on the planet. And so I think it's really important to realize just the state of decline here and the recognition that there is a lot of technological change and political change and cultural change that is limiting the power of these companies uh, and their ability to wield that power. But um, we're really in a fight over time right now that what they're trying to do is they're trying to draw out and delay the process of transition beyond the point at which we can actually make the most, do the most good. Um, so it's really uh, a question of delay. And um, I think part of accelerating the transition is, um, 
you know, I, I think just being clear-eyed about what the economic future is for these companies and the headwinds they're going to face, not just from government, but from other companies. Um, and so one example I like to give is um, uh, GM. You know, GM is one of the world's largest auto companies. For many, many, many decades, they have been a climate opponent. I would say they're one of the hardest companies uh, to bring around to climate solutions. But honestly, they're kind of there. Like GM spent $10 million on a, on a Super Bowl ad that said they want to spend, they want to build 100% electric vehicles by 2035. Um, what GM needs to do that is a bunch of policy and a bunch of you know cultural behavior that will make doing business as Shell, BP, Exxon, Aramco, basically impossible. It's going to wreck their business model if everyone's driving electric vehicles around. And so there is a conflict here between the companies that are beginning the transition that we need. And honestly, you know, GM, GM's plan is actually quite in line with the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, it's actually responsible in many ways. Um, there's a conflict between doing that business and doing business for um, oil companies that are responsible for climate change. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, uh, do you think there's a, do you think there's a balance? So I, I know a lot of, or not a lot, I know that some organizations, whilst they are, you know, fossil fuel companies, they are looking at other sources of more renewable energy. And do you think there's a balance to be had between that transition, as you say, moving over into the more renewables that they are still going to have a, a toe dipped in the oil well, or the coal world, or the gas world? Um, well, the it's interesting because I, I think that might have been true a few years ago, but I don't think that is actually the case now. Um, I, I think we really actually do have, we've invented all the technology we need to yeah. solve climate change. Like we actually, like the batteries work, solar, solar panels work, <laughs> the wind turbines work, they're cheap, you can build a lot of them. Like uh, we've invented everything we need. There's no fanciful future technology we need to like begin this transition. Like we may need to in the future have some some products that deal with carbon removal. Like that's that's a big question we'll need to confront. But for the most part, we don't need any new oil wells. We don't need new coal coal wells. We don't need any new gas power gas power plants. We just don't. And and so we're actually at this place where um, the transition just needs to start. And um, the the balance conversation is is really needs to be approached from that perspective. Um, and so, you know, the reality is is that the oil industry in particular is a really big opponent here, and they're spending over ninety nine percent of their annual capital expenditures, you know, the money they spend on new business on more oil and gas expansion, new pipelines, new gas wells that we simply don't need, and so. The, there is probably some balance to strike, um, but really, uh, there's not a there's not a sort of scientific case we'll say for continuing to expand the oil industry in any capacity. And I suppose what they're doing then is just feeding the machine, isn't it? They're just keeping keeping their business alive by this development. But of course, that development is catastrophic to the rest of. The planet and uh, and so I suppose 
you know, I mean, it was interesting. I, I was looking at some research the other day. We've been talking about COVID-19 and the deaths that have been caused by COVID-19, which, you know, over four million deaths. And it's it's hugely reported and, and people take a big step back and gasp in, in, in you, you know, disbelief about that that has happened so quickly. But then there is a very real stat, isn't there, about air pollution, which is so aligned with fossil fuel the fossil fuel industry and and pollution. And that is that 7 million people per year are dying from air pollution. I mean, when I heard that stat, I was like, why, why is that not kind of a big deal? Why is, you know, this is so underplayed. Where is almost the, and I'm sure this has been your world for, for many years, Duncan, but for me, looking at these stats, it's relatively new. And, and I'm amazed that, A, why don't we know this? more widely why isn't this kind of a number that we are looking at trying to reduce daily in all of our businesses and if you're in an industry that is is aligned and and associated with develop you know having that level of pollution there's got to be more than the regulation that is currently there right now i mean there's got to be a conscience there somewhere as well hasn't there yeah, and, and what was so striking about that research to me when I first encountered it was that's as many people as die from tobacco. And tobacco yeah. is, you know, this obvious global health menace that we all acknowledge as being you know, an industry that just, you know, on some level, I'll say this personally, just doesn't need to exist. You know, yeah. like it's just a thing that we don't need. And and I think that we kind of have to come around to that same realization. And and I think it's hard to process that in a world where the companies that do that pollution constantly advertise, you know, ah, look at our scientists developing algae fuels, or, you know, we've, you know, sent someone across the Antarctica with biofuels. And, you know, it's just so great that, uh, you know, we were developing this clean technology and da, 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 like every single, not every single, but like an overwhelming proportion of the advertisements they make is about clean energy investments, which they honestly just aren't making at any real scale. And so I, I think it's hard to draw a line on and, and sort of process that like, no, this is an industry that still does enormous harm, um, that actively is responsible for the premature deaths of 7 million people a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they put so much work into presenting themselves as responsible corporate actors. And I think that's the thing that makes it hard to come to grips with. And that is the greenwash. Okay, that is the the greenwash that you know is aligned with with that industry, and of course, that's where we start to dip into marketing now, isn't it? Where the yeah. role of agencies, the role of marketers, of individuals that are you know, working so hard. You know, I was having a conversation this morning, and it was almost like there was a battle in the marketing world between those marketers that were seen to have it easy because they were just marketing really good stuff. And those marketers that have to advertise the bad stuff, you know, and, and have to do that in a way that, that helps the brand to win or helps the organization to win. And, I, you know, it's, it's a bit of a ridiculous situation. I mean, we're trying to champion the education to marketers to say, listen, as an individual, educate yourself, understand the realities, because I've been in marketing a long time. I had no idea, idea at the level and depth and uh, that the, the greenwashing is going on at. So, you know, first of all, get really clear on that. But, but what would you say the role of marketing has to evolve into Duncan now? 
Well, I, I think of this as you know, th- these companies are the biggest polluters, which makes them the biggest greenwashers. They have the most at stake in their business model to for when it comes to sort of transitions out of dirty energy. And so they have to invest the most in pretending to be part of that. <laughs> and they have the most misleading content. Um, and so I, I think there's a real role that marketing's playing here in um, shaping the perceptions and expectations of the public uh, for what these companies are, um, what kind of action governments need to take, um, what kind of businesses, uh, what kind of action businesses need to take. And um, it's, you know, uh, you know, I, I like to think of it as like, okay, so you're an individual and uh, you're deciding you need to buy a new car. Um, and, you know, you're just whoever, Joe, uh, and Joe is just making his decision based on the advertisements and uh, that he sees. And he sees something like GM's ad about, you know, we have 100% electric vehicles. Um, we want to sell you a new Cadillac that will have super cruise and will run on batteries for 400 miles. And that's great. But at the same time, he's seeing advertisements from Shell or Exxon or the American Petroleum Institute or whatever that says we're investing X amount in reducing our emissions. Um, and, you know, the, the oil we produce is cleaner than ever. Um, and that makes it actually harder for GM to sell that car. You know, yeah. they, they actually have to make that, their case is much harder. And so I, I just think that that, you know, marketing's at the, the pivot point between industrial policy and individual choice. And this is the, the, uh, the, the pivot that, you know, needs to be made that like you can shape individual choices based on what industrial policy is. And, uh, you know, there's a conscious choice that needs to be made to shift away from doing the destructive work so that people can make those good decisions with more clarity and a better understanding of what is actually being done uh, in this industry. And and it's, you know, you talk about the advertising, it's also the sponsorship. So recently in in the UK, there was uh, this science museum, they held their flagship exhibition, uh, which was around, you know, climate, and Shell were named as the sponsors, which is, you know, the irony in there, you couldn't make it up, could you? But in fairness, the climate scientists that were due to speak all stood down. They all removed their voice and said they wouldn't speak at the exhibition. Then there was, you know, people protesting out the front that, you know, you can't buy your way into this and, and, and put yourself up there at this flagship exhibition to say that you, you know, you're doing good when you're clearly not. So I think there's also that voice, isn't there, coming up from, from society, hopefully. And I think it's around marketing, as you say, we take our voice away consumers and, and society raise their raise their voices up and, and we kind of need to have this movement, don't we? Because the money, it's, you know, you talk about dirty oil, it's dirty money, isn't it? That that seems to be driving some of these decisions. So what do you what do you think with regards to agencies that are refusing to work with uh fossil fuel organizations, how how are they how are they making that transition, I guess? Because some of them would probably have made quite a lot of money from working with these organizations. So how, how do you make that? I know morally how you would make that decision, but financially and, you know, operationally, uh, the people and the agencies you guys work with as well, how, how is that going for them? Well, I actually think that's a perfect transition. The example of the sponsorships of people removing themselves from the conversation that's sponsored by Shell. Great work. Um, because I, I think that that is essentially the business case here as well. 
that there are brands that uh, are doing good work in alignment with the client and with the climate change, addressing climate change. And I think at a certain point, they're going to say, why are we working with the agencies that are doing the most harm here? Why are we actually lending? You know, there, there is not, there's obviously, you know, business, you know, se- separate conversations. It's not that, you know, there's a direct cross-pollination here, but um, you know, if you're a brand that specializes in communicating about your clean product um, and you're helping your agency sort of build muscle about how to communicate about clean business um, and they're then misusing that capacity and those skills at the same time with the business to, you know, create an impression of green business on behalf of a company that doesn't have that. Um, you know, you're actually lending a little bit of your credibility to the companies that are doing the most harm. And I, I think that there is a practical case there that, you know, you don't want to work with agencies that make it harder to do clean business. Um, I think there's a little bit of a just sort of, I don't know, ickiness case to be made of like, you know, why would you work with the people that are are also working for the companies that do harm to the thing that you're obviously on a mission to address. Um, And I think that, you know, that is the the ultimate pressure that's going to come is that there are going to be brands that say, I'm not interested in this anymore. And then uh, I think the other question that agencies will have to address is talent. Um, Particularly when you think about young talent, you know, there's two, two pressures here. One is just the fact that smart, creative people have a huge number of ways to make money as a smart, creative person in the world now. Um, And, you know, they can take any number of pathways. And then the second is um, young people care a lot about climate change. They understand the issue. They're not just... They're not willing to be bullshit anymore. Bullshitted anymore. Yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to say that. You can time. say that. <laughs> oh, okay, great. It seemed like that was the vibe. Uh, but you know, young people—they don't want to take a bunch of bullshit on this anymore. They're not going to work for an agency that's going to like blow smoke up their ass about how Shell's transitioning. You know, like they get it. So, I think agencies that are interested in attracting and retaining the best talent are going to need to have a clear stance on this and. Um, you know, we published uh, the F list, which That's is the list right. of uh, agencies that we know, at least, that do work with fossil companies. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it needs to be said. I think that that should be, that is going to continue being public information. We're going to keep publishing it. And it's just going to be a reputational challenge that agencies are going to have to manage when it comes to attracting the best talent. And I think that's going to be hard. Have you had any backlash from, from your F list? Um, we've had some polite outreach from some agencies that wanted some clarifications. Um, and, you know, like, uh, look, I want to present accurate information. I'm not trying to like lie to anybody. So, you know, we, we, you know, some, some agencies reached out and said, this is actually a former client. Could you just make sure that's clear okay. <laughs> as we made those changes? But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's, it's true. And, and we've also had conversations where people said like, no, actually we trust our fossil fuel client. And I had to sort of say, well, have we looked at the data here? Um, have you, you know, and trying to be as polite but and patient as we can, but also appointed, um, and uh, you know, just try and be as frank about what I think the issue is. So, 
I'm not sure backlash is exactly the right word, but it definitely attracted attention. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to be seen to be doing harm. They would much rather. And and if you've got that talent that is already in an organization or institution where the values don't align, then the best thing to do is get out and put your talent and focus into organizations that are doing good. You know, because the, like you said before, if, if we can do better for the GMs of the world, these exemplars that are doing better and plow the attention over there and the other the, the people that are doing bad in the world just to keep it as a simple you know um balance then then of course that's reducing over there and, and we're putting more of a stronger voice into into doing good on that point about exemplars duncan who i mean you mentioned gm that you think are doing well one of the things that we're keen to do is is build a portfolio of exemplars you know who are the organizations that are genuinely doing well because when we interviewed uh, philip kotler you know one of the things he was saying is there isn't enough there isn't almost enough of a kind of blueprint for organizations right now to fully understand who's doing well. And the more exemplars we have, that kind of raises the, the benchmark for everybody. And so, you know, are you seeing these exemplars increasing? I am. And I think it's just uh, an obvious, like, it, it's such, such, such a clear business choice, you know, that if you, so many of the, like, raw materials we use to build products are under threat from this. Um, so many, like, it's not just a social legitimacy thing. It's like, yeah, if you want to like keep your business running, like you, there actually needs to be coordinated and like ambitious global action to solve climate change. And so the business voice is really critical there. And, you know, the way I think one of the things ways we're trying to position clean creatives is, you know, if you're adding scrutiny to your supply chains. You know, if you are, and this, this is an insight that comes in particular from, from Solitaire Townsend from Futera, um, was, you know, if you are making sure that your farmer who's supplying you cotton is, you know, making, doing it organically and not overusing water or whatever, fertilizer, or something like that, you should apply that same scrutiny to your agency. Yeah. You should think about the supply chain for your ideas. Yeah. And that is uh, just one piece of the transition that companies should make. Um, and many are making it in, in a wide variety of areas, but this needs to be one of the areas that you sort of add into um, that transition conversation. I think, as you say, it, it's about transition, isn't it? And we just need mm -hmm. to start doing it. I think, you know, the fossil fuel industry isn't the only one that's trying to squeeze every last dollar or pound or, you know, money out of, of what it currently does before we hit that absolute stop button, which, you know, we, we need to be building up that now. I mean, cars, electric cars, you know, by 2030 or 2035, why are we still selling petrol and diesel cars now? That, you know, wh where are all those cars that are going to be bought between now and then going to go? They have to go somewhere, you know? So I think, you know, it's time that big organizations and, and business stops making excuses for why we can't just say stop we're going to change because that point of you know the planet saying enough is going to happen so i think no, absolutely it's all about less transition more just stopping and, and starting to accept the fact that we have to make change and make change fast yeah fast indeed okay well duncan we like to ask our guests the three same questions. Um, the first one uh, is, what are your thoughts about whether marketing Q2 
can save the planet? My outlook on saving the planet is that it's a team sport. Um, as the uh, as, as a really wonderful author who I respect a lot, Bill McKibben says, the most important thing that any individual can do is stop being an individual. And so I think marketing can be on the side of saving the planet and is a really crucial team member on saving the planet. Um, I think some people have an unreasonable expectation that marketing alone can save the planet. And I, I don't think that's true. But I think that uh, there's a really wonderful you know, just an astounding community of people from scientists to planners to engineers to activists who are on the side of saving the planet and marketers have an extraordinary skill to add to that. Um, and so I, I would say, uh, yes, marketing can be on the, t- on the side of the team that's saving the planet and has a lot to offer uh, in that process. Fantastic. And what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? Well, in, in terms of the marketing business, is I, I think that we hope have the same relationship to fossil fuels that we have now with tobacco. Just a recognition that it is a destructive industry. That is something that respectable companies and you know the smart people don't do anymore because they know it's destructive. And um, our building companies, you know, the, the transition out of tobacco is amazing in the sense that a lot of agencies now have huge business in healthcare and health communications. And I think just recognizing that that pivot is going to happen around energy and climate um, and that there's such an amazing business opportunity on the other side of saying no to that bad work. Um, You know, I I think that it's just a a really clear eyed sense of like what the, what the damage has been um, and why this is not part of what doing good business looks like anymore. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that in 10 years, it's either be 20, 31, <laughs> um, you know, businesses that are, say that they have net zero plans have reduced their emissions in half, which is the actual transition pathway we need to make. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we're, we're just uh, very clear eyed about how fast and how well this is going. <laughs> Good. That's I love that positivity. And you're right. You know, we there is a lot of there is a lot of opportunity at looking at transitioning to the doing the good, isn't there? You know, there is a lot of opportunity there. So if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody tuning into this podcast who's maybe agency side, marketing, you know, what what would your advice be to them? Well, I think the advice would be to begin the conversation. Um, you know, the the transition, you know, the Ad, com- ad, in- ad agencies or businesses, um, they need to make sure that everybody goes home with a check. And yep. um, I think in a way are, are naturally reluctant um, to make big changes and say no to chunks of business, particularly when there's a longstanding cultural narrative that those businesses are big and powerful. But um, we've always found that anyone who has begun the conversation about fossil fuels, they've always found that they're not alone. Um, and that there are other people who have these questions and that when you offer them an opportunity to say something about it and, and to sort of be involved in the conversation, that they react really positively. And so um, if you go to Clean Creatives slash start, um, we actually have a sort of starting guide about what you can do and some resources you can use to begin that conversation. So I, I think just, um, you know, you don't always have to, it, it's sort of nice to hope and expect that like, you know, you make this argument and then poof, like people get it. But yeah. sometimes it takes time. And really the best thing to do is just 
start talking about it. And once you sort of bring people into that dialogue, um, we found that it moves quite quickly. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Duncan, it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. It's, it's a, it's a, it's not a, a fantastic topic, is it? You know, let's, let's face it, but it's wonderful that we've got organizations like yours out there really championing things, calling out the agencies, making the data and the facts and the stats available, which, you know, education is such a big part, as you said, once you understand things, you can really get your head around what you can then do to start solving some of these challenges. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for you all for hosting this conversation and bringing people together around it. And um, I'm just excited to see it continue um, at the COP um, and into the, the next year. Fantastic. Thank you so much.